who God is, is this big meanie in the sky who's got this list, this checklist, and all he's really interested in is people checking off the boxes. And if you step out of line, he's going to clobber you for it. Welcome to another Prepare Dancer podcast. My name is Sean Walker, and as always, I'm joined by Scott Steen. How are you, Scott? Good, Sean. Good to be back. Yeah. So we are on episode three of our series on deconstructing faith. And for those that have returned, we welcome you back. For those that may be listening for the first time, we would encourage you to go back and listen to our first two episodes. So our first episode was really on an introduction to deconstruction and really what we'd be talking about through these episodes. And our last episode was on, isn't living like Jesus more important than worshiping Jesus? And so, Scott, kind of where we ended off that episode would be, well, th- through the episode, we the, the, the overall conclusion or point we were trying to make in that episode is that understanding biblical Christianity, historic biblical Christianity properly, we realize that we, we really can't separate living like Jesus mm-hmm. from worshiping Jesus. Right. The two are inextricably bound together. Right. We can't really talk about them as separate things. Right. Where we ended the discussion, though, was really pointing back to what is probably a, a, an even more basic question to ask if, if you're moving through this deconstruction process. Again, part of our goal here is is helping people to just be able to step back and, and ask really important questions right. um, in the deconstruction process. Right. And the question we felt was even more basic was, who is Jesus? Right. And then why is he worthy of my worship in the first place? Right. And we just touched on that. Of course, that's a whole, who is Jesus? That's a whole well, other a series, right? We could, exactly. we could dive into that. But, yeah. you know, at its heart, uh, the, the gospel is, we talked about the gospel of Jesus is that Jesus is the son of God, the incarnate son of God, right. who came to, to die in our place, to be a sacrifice uh, in our place for our sin. Right. right. And I mean, that's in a nutshell and there's so much to talk about there, but right. as opposed to simply being an example for us, right. which I think some people are tempted to go down that road of saying, you know what, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's ultimately we just look at Jesus as some kind of a moral guide or example. Right. Um, but that's, uh, that's ultimately that doesn't make him worthy of worship. Right. He's, if he's an example, why follow his example? example. Right. Exactly. So you mentioned sin And Scott, we know from looking on all kinds of social media and even diving into deconstruction that this is a huge red flag when we start talking about sin. Well, sin is not a popular subject. No, (laughs) it's not popular for anybody. No, no, no one wants to talk about sin. Right. Before we started this episode, you were talking about the fact that uh, you were on TikTok and uh, you'd come across uh, someone that was in the process, is that fair to say, of deconstruction? Yep. Mm-hmm. And and they were talking about sin. Maybe you can, you can talk about that. Again, it's going on social media and TikTok is just a great kind of a very current resource, I guess you could call sure. it, because there are people, you know, especially young people. That's where they go to, you know, to form community, to kind of find a place where they can they can connect with people who have like experiences. Yeah, I mean, it's for so many other things too, cat videos and all the rest, sure. but especially around faith deconstruction, mm-hmm. th- there is, there's, a, there's really an emerging community of, of young people who have come out of 
all kinds of Christian experiences mm. and are moving through a process of faith deconstruction. And I, yeah, I've really benefited from listening to some of those stories. Yeah. I guess because, you know, faith deconstruction is not my story. Right. Uh, I can't, so I can't say, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, I've, I've dealt with my own doubts, but sure. never, in a, nothing, never anything I'd describe as faith deconstruction. Sure. So when I go to TikTok and I listen to stories, it really helps give me a sense of, of empathy sure. uh, or at least sympathy for the mm-hmm. experiences some people are having. Sure. Yeah. So I was listening to one young man who was sharing his story, and, and it really much did center around this whole discussion of sin and the way that the church or churches or many in church experiences have, mm-hmm. have heard sin talked about. Let me just read for you uh, what this young fellow said about mm-hmm. his experience. Yeah. He said, the theology that I was brought up with taught me that I'm just inherently evil. Every thought that I have is evil and everything that I do is pretty much evil, unless I'm doing it for God, of course. Mm-hmm. And then God is going to be mad at me for doing all those evil things. So anything bad that happens to me, I actually deserve. And then to go even further, I deserve to be just like dead and tortured forever in hell. And he says, what a destructive thought that is. Right. I I sympathize. Sure. He says, so when bad things happen to me in life, I'd often think, well, I deserve that. Like this is just what I had coming to me. And then when anything good happened, I would be happy. Like I don't deserve this. I don't deserve anything good ever. Right. He said, with, with those kinds of thoughts, you can really be very self-destructive. And it gave me this idea that I'm just worth nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's taken a lot of work to start thinking otherwise. Mm-hmm. He said, but I think, I think my life is valuable and my life does have worth. And I can show you that, how I get there from the Bible, but really just deep down inside of myself, I'm starting to believe it's true. Okay. Right. That's, yeah. that's his short testimony. Yeah. Uh, video. That's sobering to hear. It really is. Again, I think we've said this, I think we said this the last two times we were together. Faith deconstruction isn't necessarily a bad thing, particularly if your experience, your, you know, your right. Christian experience maybe has not been truly a Christian experience. A biblical. A biblical Christian experience. It's yes. been maybe some kind of distortion of Christianity. Right. And if it is, deconstruction ex- is exactly what needs to happen. And again, our concern is not so much that it's the reconstruction. Then, yeah, right. Then what is the what's a, what's the pathway toward reconstructing right uh, true faith? Right. And so a principle that we've talked about is that to recover your faith, you need to recover the faith. Right. So yeah. would you say when you read this description from uh, TikTok, would this be the faith? Well, and the the challenge is, and I find this again listening to all of these kinds of stories, it seems like there's always some truth, yeah, right? right? Yeah. Mixed in with some distortion. And of course, that's usually the way things go. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're ever brought up in a church where they don't teach any truth, right? Uh, even if it's a distorted Christianity, there's going to be elements of truth in there, but then it's, it's mixed in with mm-hmm. either distortions or downright wrong teaching, right? Uh, unbiblical teaching. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, so what we're, we're trying to help people do is to recover a true biblical Christian faith. Right. Right. The faith right. that has, has been held by the Church of Jesus since the New Testament forward. Right. Um, because that's what we need to recover. 
Right. So we're going to take a minute or two or longer to deconstruct this this thought about sin. What is sin mm. really about? Yeah. Biblically speaking. Yeah. Well, to really get to the heart of properly understanding sin, I think there's probably three things that we need to to look at. That as I read this fellow's story, I thought, you know, there's so much to unpack here. Mm-hmm. But in general, I think there's probably three main distortions okay. that have really impacted this young fellow. And I think they surround, first of all, confusion about who God is, a confusion about who he is right. or who we are, and then confusion about the nature of sin itself. Yeah, I think those are three areas that often can cause us to have a distorted view of what biblical faith really is. Right. So can we start with then the confusion that this fellow has about who God is? Yeah, well, it sounds like the vision of God he was brought up to have or was taught. And I, you know, it's hard, you don't want to make judgments here. You don't know anything about their the background or anything like that. Sure. It could be that he grew up in a church that had very distorted teaching. Yeah. Or it just could be you know what, as he was gleaning from his church Mm -hmm. experience that he greatly misunderstood things as they were taught. Or it could be a combination. Who who knows? But as I was listening to him, what really jumped out at me was this common caricature we often hear about God as if he's some kind of, you know, big meanie in the sky who is only interested in getting people to follow the rules. And if you step out of line, smack, smack, right? right? Yeah. Um, and really, you know, as he was talking, it really reminded me of the book of Job. Okay. Mm-hmm. The story yeah. of Job where, you know, there's this test that he's given. He loses everything. Yeah. Uh, we understand as the readers that God is trying to demonstrate to Satan. Satan's right. charge is that the only reason Job loves you is because you, you look after him. Sure. And God says, okay, I'll let you test him. Sure. So Job loses everything. And his friends come along and try and explain to him why this is happening. Yeah. And their mindset is very much reflects this young man's mindset, which very much reflects the way most of the world thinks sure. yeah. if they have an idea of God and how he works. Right. If you do good, good things happen. If you do bad, bad that things happen. happen. Right? Right. Yeah. And the whole point of the book of Job was that at the end, they spent all this time trying to, between Job and his friends, trying to settle the, the matter on just exactly who God is and how he operates. Mm-hmm. And then God shows up and he says, who is it that's talking, trying to summarize, right, right, (laughs) in human terms, the infinite God of the universe. Yeah. It's like we we forget that who we're talking about. Right. We're talking about God. Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. so we want to avoid these kind of simplistic caricatures Right. And and that really is, I think, really what he has here is a caricature of God mm-hmm. as kind of this cosmic meaning. So if we, if you're finding yourself in a mm-hmm. place of faith deconstruction, I think one of the first places you need to go back to is just ask and answer, yes. am I really starting with a, a true biblical conception of God? Yeah. Or am I have I picked up some kind of caricature from either, you know, maybe a distorted church experience or culture, yeah. or or what people have told me, or a combination of them all. Of course, to answer the question of who is God really and what he is like, you know, that, that is huge. Again, we're not going to no. settle that in one pot. It's right. like define God and give me three examples. <laughs> Go. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Uh, we're talking about God. 
But here's, I think, a good principle for our listeners, Sean, who maybe find themselves just adrift in their faith and struggling to even understand who God is. Mm -hmm. And I'll take this from Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He says, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, that's reference to Genesis chapter 1, the creator. Right. This God made his light shine in our hearts Mm -hmm. to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. If you're confused or perplexed or bewildered in trying to understand God because of maybe some poor teaching or distorted teaching or whatever, remember that the first and clearest place to look is Jesus. So if we do have a listener, though, that says they want to recapture the biblical Christianity, Mm -hmm. they may go to the Bible first Mm -hmm. and start on page one. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to get too far and go, oh, boy, this is an angry God. Or or it's very confusing, yes. Yeah. You're right. The apex or the center of the biblical story, though, is that God has shown himself to us. Mm -hmm. He's not hidden. He's revealed himself to us in the most complete and truthful fashion possible for us as mere humans to grasp. And he's done that through the person of Jesus. He became one of us Mm -hmm. so that we would have an object, a way to understand who he is and how he really does want to relate to us. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's in the person of his son. So I get that. And so, yes, I, I think you're absolutely right, Sean. If you're wrestling through your faith and, you know, you're listening to us saying, you know what, we want to get a biblical picture of God, and you go start in the Old Testament, that might be a difficult place to start. It wasn't for the ancients because they understood the writing a little more. For our listeners, I think the place to start is the Gospels, where Jesus is presented. The first place I'd start is the Gospel of John. Yes. Maybe the Gospel of Mark would be Mm -hmm. next. Yeah. Um, Can we encourage our listeners, if, if they are struggling with these types of questions, or even where to start we're suggesting the Gospels, but for other teaching, other resources that can help them in this pursuit of finding who God is, to contact us, to email us, mm. to look on our website. We've got lots of resources. And if there's very specific questions that they're struggling with mm. as they go through Scripture, uh, we just, we'd really encourage you to contact us. Yeah. So we talked about the confusion about who God is. The second confusion you were talking about is then who we are. Yeah, I, I picked that up in listening to yeah. this young man, and I think I think what he was saying was very reflective of a number of stories I've listened to, and also the just the way many people, I think, feel. But it does reflect then that there's been some confusion about even understanding who we are. Right. It was interesting to listen to him speak because I think his instincts were, are right. Okay. He was brought up being taught that he is completely evil. And nothing mm-hmm. he does is good, right? And right. He, his life is worthless. And his instincts are to say that just doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem true. I think his instincts are serving him well. Sure. Because his life does have worth. Right. Uh, absolutely. My concern would be, and I was heartened, he said, you know, I could show you how I get there from the Bible. I really wish he'd taken the time to. I would like to have heard him do that because I think that would have been a good step. I was a little concerned because he said, what really just deep down inside, I'm starting to believe that it's true. I don't dismiss that because I don't dismiss that the Holy Spirit may well be ministering to him in a way that he needs to be ministered to. 
Um, my only concern is if you stop there, right? Yeah. Because that's very much a part of our culture's movement toward, again, developing and, and discovering our authentic self. and truly good self. Right. You go deep inside and you right. look inside and you, you dig down and you find your true greatness within. Right. And, you know, it's, it's so wrapped up in the, the whole notion of our worth rooted in the marvelous depth and breadth of human potential. Right. You have the potential to become something so great. Right. And right. Which this fellow might have been taught outside of church, right? <laughs> through culture, through media, through whatever, that, that you can be anything that you want to be. You have so much potential. It almost sounds like an army commercial. <laughs> be all that you can be. That's right. But you know what? You're right, though, Sean. I mean, that that is a recurring theme in almost in so much media and the storytelling. Right. I mean, even you know, even in the Olympics that are going on sure. right now. You know, it's that idea, the sentiment that gets so much traction in our our performance addicted world that you know, you can reach for the heights. You know, yes. you can you can achieve anything. You just have to believe and strive and you strive for greatness, right? Right. And that's right. that's a very very intoxicating idea. It sure is. But it for, for one thing it only works for a few people, and very few. <laughs> and maybe only for a limited time. Right. You know, what what if what if what you can achieve by the world standards, you know, doesn't amount right. to much? Right. Where does that leave people? And even maybe more, if you push that a little even further, what does it do for the worth of a person who is maybe born with a, you know, sure. a debilitating genetic condition mm -hmm. that leaves them in a, you know, incapacitated and uncommunicative and there's no potential from the world's vantage point? Exactly. Or for that person that has said that my worth is dependent on my potential. And so after a lifetime coming to a point and realizing that I haven't reached what I thought my potential was, mm -hmm. how do you move on? Like, mm -hmm. like it, it's almost despair or hopelessness at that point yeah. if that's what your foundation is. Yeah. I, you're, you're right. And as I think about it, I almost think that there's something behind the sheer exhaustion that so many people are confronted with in our world because we're trying to achieve and, and strive and reach our potential for fear of not. Yes. Because if we anchor our value there. Exactly. Um, whereas the Bible tells a very different story mm -hmm. about who we are right. and what we're worth. You know, our lives have worth not because of our potential. Right. We do have potential. Yes. But that's not where our value lies. Right. Our worth doesn't lie there. Our lives are worth something because we are, we're God's beloved creation. Mm -hmm. God is love, and he made you in love so that he could love you. And what a message our society needs to hear, mm -hmm. just in view of, you know, the push to equality and all that sameness. This is the ultimate message. Mm -hmm. We are all the same. Mm -hmm. We are all equally loved. We are all equal, no matter what our potential is, no matter what the color of our skin is, no matter anything. Right. Before a creator, right. we are all equal. Right. And that is the ultimate uh, leveler. Yeah. Right. And yet you look to society in this pursuit of equality mm -hmm. and you feel like screaming. It's yeah. right there. Right. Yeah. Um, even, even in the pursuit of equality and diversity, there is this demanded expectation 
that you need to think and act and behave a particular way right. in order to be part of the diversity, equality, right. Right? Right. right? Whereas the Christian worldview and the Christian story is different. It says every person, regardless yeah. of who they are or what they think or what they've done, is of inestimable worth because their worth has been established by their creator and bestowed on them. Right. We've been made as the beloved of God. Right. That's what we were made to be. Yeah. And to enjoy living in the, the eternal delight of being God's beloved. That's what life was meant to be. Right. And why Christ came to reclaim that. Yeah. And so while we we are equal, we are also equal in sin and and maybe that's where we can go to next is this confusion about what sin is. Yeah, well, I think, you know, again, going back to this young man's experience, to me it sounded like he grew up in a very fire and brimstone kind of environment where maybe maybe the sometimes the preacher just rails on against sin, against sin, against sin. Right. And tells everybody all the things they're doing wrong. I think there's some of the confusion about sin, I think, has to do with, I think there's a number of things. Mm-hmm. But, but one, I think, is that oftentimes when Christians talk or think about sin, they tend to focus on what are sins. Right. right? The list. The list, you know, the, yeah. the commandments, uh, whatever. Right. So, it, again, it feels like who God is is this big meanie in the sky who's got this list, this checklist. Right. And all he's really interested in is people checking off the boxes. And if right. you step out of line, yes. he's going to clobber you for it. Right. Right. It's a, it's a very false caricature, but it's very common. I think to help with that is really to gain a true understanding of what sin really is. I think a good understanding comes from the Apostle Paul. And uh, I'm going to give credit where credit's due. I kind of, some of this insight came from John Piper. Okay. Um, In Romans chapter 7, Paul is is talking about his own struggle with sin, with the sin nature, his sinfulness. But he makes the statement when he talks about what happened when God gave the commandments And, of course, as a good Jewish boy, Paul knew the commandments very well. And he says, you know, the command came, you shall not covet. Right. And by covet, we mean? You shouldn't want something that's not yours. Okay. Right. To covet is to desire something that someone else has. Right. Right. Wanting it for yourself. So the commandment, you shall not covet. Then Paul says this, but sin, seizing the opportunity given by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. So what's, what Paul's saying is when the commandment came, there's the rule, thou shalt not covet. Yeah. He said what happened was all of a sudden my heart was filled with every kind of coveting, <laughs> which is to covet is to commit a sin. Right. But what he's saying is that sin actually produced that. Right. So to use, uh, I'll use John Piper's words. He said there's, there is an essence to sin behind the sins. Okay. And I think it's important that we understand that. To, to get away from this idea of God as some kind of cosmic, you know, clipboard guy right. who's just interested in the checking off the boxes. We right. need to understand what what the essence of sin is from a biblical perspective. Right. So it's almost like, to put it into a pictorial vision, the sin of coveting is the stage show. So what you see on the stage, mm-hmm. but the sin behind the sin is behind the curtain. What yeah. What is motivating that? Yeah. What's driving what's on the stage? Exactly. Sure, sure. That's a good, yeah, that's a good metaphor. Yeah. So what Paul's pointing to is that in committing the sin of coveting, there's something deeper going on. Right. Which he calls sin. Sin produced this coveting in me. Sure. 
And I think to get at the essence of sin, we need to back up in Romans because Paul, I think, clearly unpacks this in Romans chapter 1. He begins by saying, you know, that the the wrath of God is being revealed against all the the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth, Mm -hmm. right? The truth of God's existence, although God's made himself and his existence clear. But he goes on to say that what ultimately took place in diagnosing the, the, the move of humanity into sin, mm-hmm. he summarizes it in chapter 1, verse 25, where he says that they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Right. Back in verse 21, he says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. They took the glory that belonged to God and they gave it to the creation, which ultimately means the heart of sin or the essence of sin is our choice to love God's creation instead of God, to worship the creation instead of the creator. Right. So it really has to do with an entire shift in our heart's disposition. Away from God. Right. That we have robbed God of the affections of our heart, which our hearts were created to give glory to him. Sure. And we have instead directed those affections to the very things he's made instead, which ultimately comes back to ourselves. Right. We've exchanged love for God for love for self. So can we deconstruct (laughs) the sin of covetedness in light of that example? Well, sure. We can use here's here's uh, we use a concrete example. We can sure. use coveting, and we can take it right from the the, the Ten sure. Commandments because it's the last commandment: "Thou shalt not covet, covet. Sure. your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's donkey or right. anything else." Right. Right. So, coveting your neighbor's wife—that's a good tangible one because sure. I think it brings a couple things into play that are worth pointing out. But so, what you're asking is, let's flesh that out. Yeah. Let's flesh out this exchange the behind the sin behind the sin. Right. Yeah. So, how is that then producing sin? Right. So in the case of, for instance, coveting your neighbor's wife, right. there's something going on there with respect to the sexual passions. Right. Right. Our sexual desires. Which God has given us. Which God created. Again, it's a, it's a false caricature of Christianity yes. to say that we're prudes about sex. Right. We are not. No. It is a good gift from God, rightly yes. understood. God gave us the sexual passions, the desire, but he gave it to us to be used in a context, of course, the context of a committed marriage between husband and wife. And he produced and he created that for a very specific reason. Mm -hmm. And we don't have time to go into it now. I'd love to sometime unpack Genesis chapter one again in how the union of the man and the woman in marriage through Mm -hmm. the sexual union, the one flesh union, is meant to reflect the image of God. Yes. At the end of the day, it's meant to glorify God so that my attraction and union with my wife, Mm -hmm. that is intended to glorify God. That's the end goal of it, right? Right. The goal of sexual union is the glory of the creator. Right. It's to point to him, to celebrate him, to bring glory to him. And in doing that, that is where it finds its greatest fulfillment. So sin comes along. In sin, and as we talked about, the essence of sin is the exchange, right? Right. Exchanging the glory of the creator and giving it to the creation instead. Right. Taking love for the creator and diverting Mm. it, our affections and our love, to self-love, to the creation. The sexual passions are still there. Right. It's God's good created thing. Right. But now the end for which they were made, God's glory, is out of the equation. Right. So you've still got the passions, Right. They're, they're still there. They're still as real. They're still functioning. Mm-hmm. But the goal for which they were made is no longer in play. 
Right. So now all you have is passions, right. which seek to be fulfilled, to find their ultimate fulfillment in glorifying God. They're just seeking to be fulfilled. Right. Well, if the purpose for which they were made is gone, then fulfilling them in any way, shape, or form seems to make sense. Right. And then what we find is brokenness. Ultimately, yeah, because they're not fulfilling the purpose for which they were made. They're not glorifying the Creator. And, and you could take that, Sean, and then you could, ex you could extrapolate that backwards on so many things. Yes. That was one illustration that was helpful, I think, right. uh, for us to use. Hopefully that helps our listeners in terms of this perception of God as the checkbox. Yeah. When someone comes out of line that we're going to smack them. Right. That is not the essence of biblical sin. No. I think a better way to understand it is, which again, going back to this young man who said he was taught that everything he did was evil. Right. Right. No. no. So many of the functions of our humanity are things that are made by God as good things. To ultimately glorify him. Right. That's yes. the problem. The yes. essence of sin is that the living energy of our lives being expressed and lived out in, this, in the so many ways that humanity finds expression. Right. Biblically, they were all made to find their fulfillment in bringing glory to the creator. Right. The condition of sin has brought us to the point, though, where they are now still finding expression, but they're no longer fulfilling their end goal, their end purpose. So it's not true, then, that if this young man was taught that everything he does is evil, it's not true. No. The, the, the biblical teaching of sin is not that every person goes out and does all the evil, as many evil things as they can. Right, no. You know, so many of the non-Christians that I know mm -hmm. are wonderful people. Right. Non-Christians can be kind to their neighbors sure. and build hospitals, right, and start yes. charities and do all kinds of wonderful things. Yes. It's not that everybody does as much evil as they possibly can. Yeah. It's that there's no way for us because of sin. Right. There's no way for any of our living activities right. to actually fulfill the purpose for which they were made, which is the glory of the Creator. And so in that case, then, as God's creation, we in sin, we have divorced ourselves Right. From the one for whom we were made. And, and as you're talking, I'm thinking again back to the, the sin of covetedness and, and even coveting your neighbor's possessions. Right. Mm -hmm. So even to unpack that sin. Mm -hmm. Right. So God has given us all types of good things, yeah. be them food, houses, whatever, mm -hmm. to ultimately glorify him to mm -hmm. give him thanks and praise for what he's provided to you. Yeah. So when you step out of line, and you start wanting things more than what God has given you, mm -hmm. then yes, you can see how then that falls apart. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, like Jesus said, every, every good and perfect gift comes down from our Father in heaven. Right. God loves to give us good things. Right. Why? So that we can enjoy them, and in enjoying them, be grateful to him. And glorify him. And glorify him. Right. Right. But what we do is we take our desire for good things and we turn and we make them into an end in themselves. Right. And you know as well as I do, there's no end to it. No. Because once you get it, you're not I, satisfied. I thought I'd be satisfied <laughs> once I had that thing. But now I don't care about that thing. I want that thing, right? It's just it, there's no end to it. Yes. It really does help then to explain and help us understand right. the condition we find ourselves in. I can appreciate then how if this yep. young man grew up in an environment where he was taught these kinds of things, that's a horrible distortion. How then do we point this out to people? How do we talk about sin? Well, I think there's a couple things we could say about that. 
the first thing we need to make sure we always do is we talk graciously. Yeah. We can't ever point fingers. No. When you point a finger, three are pointing back at you. Yeah. We're all we're all in the same boat. Yeah. I think we definitely need to at some point talk about sin. That doesn't necessarily mean we have to point out people's right. sinful behaviors. Like that's sure. not that shouldn't be. We shouldn't feel that's our mission as Christians is to go around and no. and call people out. But we shouldn't shy away from it, it either. It, it doesn't mean we don't ever either. Right. Right. But and and we'll pro- and we'll probably dive into that next time we talk because the next okay. our next discussion, Sean, is going to be around the question of whether pointing out people's sin is, is being judgmental. Should we, shouldn't we not do that? Because isn't that being judgmental? But back to your question, so how then should we talk to people about sin? Or as someone who's trying to reconstruct my faith, how should I think about it? I think there's a couple things. One, we want to remember that we preach Christ crucified, mm-hmm. that the essence of our message, the essence of the gospel is this, is Jesus crucified. Yes. True Christian faith has always, again, going back to the New Testament church, proclaimed Christ as God's offering, a sacrifice of atonement, making reparations for our sin. And, um, and I'm hoping it helped me through this discussion is why we need that atonement, like what the essence of sin is, mm-hmm. right, is to get back to that place where we can glorify God. Yeah. What we didn't get into, and I think this is something that does need to get unpacked as well, though, but this might come down the road in reconstructing your faith, is I think one of the reasons people struggle so much with the notion of sin is that we do not grasp the depth of the offense against our creator that we've committed. I think part of it is because we don't understand who God is. No. We caricature him. Yes. And we maybe underplay for ourselves just mm-hmm. exactly what it means to have robbed God of that which he is due. Yes. He created us for himself. Right. And our hearts for him. Right. And we stole ourselves from him. But but at the heart of the gospel is that Jesus came to repair yeah, yeah. the offense or repay the offense of our sin. You know, Paul in Romans 3.25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2.17, for this reason, he, that's Jesus, had to be made like them, that's us, fully human in every way. Why? In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. We need someone to represent Mm -hmm. us Mm -hmm. before God. And secondly, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So in terms of how should we talk about sin? I think we always need to keep it in the context of the gospel message of Christ. Right. Right. We can't just go out talking no. about sin, right. trying to make people feel bad, right. forgetting that, you know, the whole point is Jesus. Right. Right. We've got to talk about Jesus. Yeah. The second thing I think that's worth remembering, and this is for, again, the whole side of dealing with sin graciously. Jesus says this in John sixteen eight. And he, and he's talking about, the he he's talking about there is the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. He, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world Mm -hmm. regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. Mm -hmm. If you're a Christian and you're listening, it is not our job to make people feel guilty for their sin. We ought not try. No. Um, No. We need to leave that to the Spirit. that's, That's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 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 So so that just to me that just punctuates our need to be gracious and kind and compassionate. Yes. And uh, and humble mm-hmm. when we're talking to people and even pointing out the realities of sin. Right. Right. Yeah. 
I think that's a good place to end for today. And as always, we would encourage our listeners, if, if you have any questions about the topics we have talked about today, to please reach out to us. Visit us on our website, preparedtoanswer.org. Until next time, take care and God bless. This podcast has been a ministry of Prepared to Answer. Our mission at Prepared to Answer is to help prepare, equip, and encourage the Church of Jesus Christ to grow in confidence of faith by teaching Christians to think like Jesus. To access more resources to help you begin understanding life and the world around you with the mind of Jesus, visit our website at www.preparedtoanswer.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at at prepared to answer or contact us directly by email at info at prepared to May the Lord bless and keep you.